0: As a listener to Intelligent Medicine, you know that fish oil provides the vital omega-3s, EPA, and DHA that support your cardiovascular, brain, nerve, vision, immune system, joint, and skin health, as well as your inflammatory balance. My preferred fish oil brand is Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including soft gels, liquid, and enteric-coated options in a variety of potencies. Vital Nutrients even offers a high-performance and nutrient-dense vegan omega supplement option. Vital Nutrients' line of ultra-pure omega-3 solutions are held to the most rigorous quality standards in the industry, ensuring maximum freshness, purity, and potency. I use Vital Nutrients myself and recommend it to my patients. For more information and to order, call 888 328 99 92. That's 888 328 9992, or go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co for the Vital Nutrients line of Ultra Pure Omega 3 solutions. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest today is Dr. Tim Spector. Dr. Spector is a professor of clinic of uh, genetic epidemiology at King's College in London, and uh, he is also the scientific co-founder of Zoe, uh, which um, is uh, a new uh, instrument, very exciting, uh, which is designed to help personalize nutritional recommendations. Do I have that right, Dr. Spector?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, it's personalized nutrition.
0: Okay, and that is available now to people in the U.S. as well via the website that's – Yes.
1: uh, What is it called? The website, uh, yeah, it says uh, joinzoe.com, J-O-I-N-Z-O-E.com. And uh, you can get the uh, the product now and test yourself and uh, get your own food scores by looking at blood sugar levels, your fat levels and a really in-depth sequence of your gut microbes.
0: Right, and and this is I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Zoe uh, is going to be even more sophisticated in, in coming years because it's an ongoing research project that's informed by artificial intelligence, uh, and you know there's strength in numbers. The more people who get involved with it, uh, the more fine-tuned it'll get in terms of refining the the recommendations so th- it's really a commendable effort i congratulate you on that uh okay the book the diet uh myth uh was your previous book what was what was the the main thrust there is it a book that pushes back against the notion that there's uh you know a one-size-fits-all diet
1: well i i I wrote that about uh, five or six years ago and it was before really I, I, I got into this personalized approach before we'd done the studies of the twins, giving them the identical foods. So I hadn't gone as much down that road. It was more to uh, introduce the gut microbes to people and to, in each of the chapters, introduce how the gut microbes could influence um, our uh myths about diets and foods, about, you know, why diets were failing and how a lot of our uh, lifestyles, uh, you know, such as using antibiotics and um, having over sterile lifestyles uh, could affect our gut microbes in ways we hadn't thought about. So it was really an introduction that uh, for many people, there hadn't been many books on the gut microbes at that time, written by scientists. and so that that it, it helped me do it as well. I must say, I went away and uh, for six months and wrote it, and, and sort of became an expert after writing it, not before it. So it was very helpful for me. And of course, uh, it 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 is just uh, that area, rather than being a fad, which many people thought it was about ten years ago, has just continued to uh, grow and grow. And suddenly, you know, pe- nearly everyone is talking about it. Although, well, unfortunately, most, as you know, most medics know very little about it. They see it as still a bit alternative, but uh, I think it's something that everyone is going to have to know about. It. It's like learning you've got a new organ in your body, mm-hmm. and it's like discovering we had a, a second liver mm-hmm. because it's it's just a uh, full of trillions of chemical factories, all pumping out uh, fantastic uh, chemical compounds that you know affect your brain, your immune system, your gut. Uh, your mood appetite everything so it's um, it's a real treasure trove and it, it, it just that field just gets more exciting every year
0: indeed so, so coming back to some of the myths that you tackle in uh, spoon fed why almost everything we've been told about food is wrong um, you talk about uh, sodium we're all encouraged to go on a low salt diet but is there room for individual variation on that
1: Yeah, salt was an interesting one because five years ago, I thought there was, there's nothing to write about. It's obvious. You should just, you know, if you've got hypertension or you've um, got got uh, some health problem, you just, you should just cut down on salt. But some recent studies in the last three, four years have really turned that on its head. They've shown that these tough salt restrictions that the, uh, you know, American Heart Society uh, and others have proposed actually can cause more problems than they, they, they save. And it sounds like, you know, we weren't designed to be salt restricted for long times. And I've worked out that the average benefit um, for uh, the average, you know, middle-aged person with hypertension going on a salt restricted diet would be to improve their blood pressure by about 1%, hmm. about one millimeter or so. Which, given that, it makes all your food tasteless and revolting <laughs> for the rest of your life, uh, to me, just seemed to be uh, the wrong advice to be giving people, and we should be selecting those few. And I think there are about ten there are percent of us, sensitive, well, sensitive, sensitive individuals. Themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But the other ninety percent of us shouldn't necessarily have to be punished uh, <laughs> for that ten percent. So that and. There's actually plenty of studies now from uh, third world countries showing that salt restriction actually uh, increases heart disease and that high salt intakes are, are associated with, with less disease. So I think the whole field has really changed from this dogma that, uh, again, comes back to this oversimplification that we just take one thing, one chemical, and say that's bad and that we don't care about what else you know you're having instead. So I totally changed my opinion after my... Uh, doing my research on it, I don't know what your views are on salt.
0: No, I I, I agree, and it, it, I I mean I've seen the research. I think some of the same research that you're talking about, uh, research that suggests that there may be some rebound um, homeostasis that the body is trying to achieve that may actually cause some vasoconstriction, clamping down of the blood vessels uh, when there's not enough sodium in the diet, which you know can ultimately cause hypertension, kind of a a low-sodium version of hypertension. So, yes, I mean, individuals may, you know, on a case-by-case basis uh, need salt restriction. But overall, as a population-wide recommendation, you know, another one-size-fits-all recommendation that just doesn't uh, stack up. Uh, You also talk about exercise, and a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, even if their diet's not so good, they can atone for it in the gym. You know, they can just bang it out on the Peloton or, you know, on the treadmill and, uh, you know, they can run away from a bad diet. And uh, you take that one on in your book.
1: Yeah, that's not a very popular one because uh, everyone like no one likes to knock exercise. And I I, I exercise every day. I cycle a lot and um, I'd like to think it's uh, helping my weight and I uh, but all the data shows it's not, and that you can't really run off a bad diet. And I mean, obviously, if you're a semi-professional sportsman and you're doing hours a day, it's different. But for most of us, you know, doing half an hour of exercise um, three to five times a week, uh, there's no evidence it helps you lose weight and it gives you a false sense of security uh, that you know, you can't moral extra li-
0: I think the term that's sometimes used is moral license. More, it gives you moral <laughs> yeah. license <It's>, to uh,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, some, that bit that beer afterwards, the, the, you know, and the nachos, you know, they don't seem as, as, as deadly. Uh, and so, part of it might be the fact you just overeat because you think you've, you've been such a good guy or girl. Uh, but also, our bodies compensate, and so our bodies reduce our metabolism metabolic rate after exercise uh, over, over the next 24 hours so this really compensates and so that's why it, it's really tough to, to depend on exercise uh, for your weight you really need to do both both together to be of any any use and it's uh, you know exercise is great for the heart and the best of the body and virtually every disease we know of uh, but I think uh, we've got the wrong idea that it's, it's a good way to lose weight.
0: Another myth that you tackle is uh, coffee uh, and caffeine. Because some of my patients, you know, when I take a diet history, you know, they sort of guiltily confess that, uh, oh, you know, I, I drink a couple of cups of coffee a day. I'm trying to, I'm trying to kick the coffee, but, uh, yeah, I know it's bad for me, but I still have a little bit of it. But in the book, you, you say that that may not be another one-size-fits-all recommendation.
1: Yes, there are not many hard trials, but all the epidemiology is now in the last five years is pointing that coffee drinking is beneficial for the heart. And and you'd think, oh, well, maybe it's very dose responsive, but up to six coffees a day, (laughs) which is an enormous amount. So, um, uh, and exactly why it is, we've always assumed it's, it's caffeine, but... It could well be the all the other hundreds of chemicals in coffee, which is a fermented coffee bean mm-hmm. that has all kinds of defence chemicals in it, so-called polyphenols, that are rocket fuel for your gut microbes. So, uh, my idea is that it's not such a, it doesn't have a direct effect on your blood vessels, which is the old way of thinking about um, things like coffee, but it actually helps your gut and. it's, you know, it's a source of fiber and all these polyphenols. And that's probably why it's good for you. And that seems to be why also decaf is seems to be nearly as good as well. So if it's not too chemical, um, there seems to be evidence that as long as they keep most of the other compounds in coffee, you may do as well with with decaf coffee. And that's disappointing for tea drinkers, uh, because they get upset. But um, say in England, there's lots of tea drinkers, but it's only the ones who drink green tea that seem to get the same benefits as coffee. Hmm. And again, that suggests it's the polyphenols. So again, it's a, a different way of looking at food and health than, with the, than most uh, physicians have been used to.
0: In the book, you say that uh, among the myths is that pesticides and herbicides, uh, they've been tested Uh, If they were really harmful, uh, they wouldn't allow them to be introduced into our agriculture and into our food supply. But uh, you push back on that notion.
1: Yes. um, I think, in a way, herbicides, pesticides, it's a bit like uh, a new artificial sweetener in in a diet drink. Um, They get tested on lab rats to see if they get uh, liver cancer when they're given massive doses. And... That's how the generally, you know, the FDA or the uh, environment industry actually say these are safe, and they follow up these rats long term. But they don't really do any studies in humans, and they don't really uh, do any studies in our gut microbes. And it's been shown that the commonest herbicide uh, called uh, Roundup glyphosate, uh, with the commonest one in the world, it does affect the not the genes of our microbes so Mm -hmm. right because
0: i mean it's something that actually i mean since it's anti uh it it kills uh you know various types of uh microorganisms and that that may affect plants uh should it not then affect the microorganisms in our gut
1: exactly so it, it kills off plant microbes uh it kills off uh it attacks some of the genes of, of uh, some of the weeds and it also affects the soil, the microbes in the soil. And so it doesn't affect our genes, it doesn't affect our cells in our body, but it does affect our gut microbes. And I think uh, this isn't an effect that, you know, you don't immediately get sick, but we are exposed to these things for you know the span of our lives now, 50 plus years. And so I am worried that uh these do cause problems even if they're a smaller problem in in millions of people uh, I don't think we've paid enough attention to that and you know there are all these lawsuits in California going on uh, saying it it, it uh, causes uh rare forms of lymphoma and mm-hmm. people who have been spraying it a lot and etc this is and the epidemiology is still not clear on these particular cancers uh, but certainly Californian juries are paying out billions. so right. um, but, but short of causing like cancer, it research. may have
0: low-grade uh, deleterious effects on the general populace, which are going to be hard to trace because, you know, cancer is a very discrete event and especially rare cancers that shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, you may say, oh, that person was a landscaper and they used to use, you know, gallons of the stuff. And, you know, you can see the smoking gun. But when the entire populace is exposed on a daily basis to small amounts of something and the overall health of the populace is, um, shall we say suboptimal? Um, yeah, potential problem.
1: So that's, so I, I'm worried about that. I'm particularly worried, you know, and you've got pregnant women and, and young children who are more susceptible that, you know, we just pass these uh, chemicals as safe without really doing the tests. And I, I would like really a, a grassroots change in how we, Uh, sign off these things. And, and, you know, and the manufacturers who are generally in the food companies and the, and the fertilized business, you know, they're very rich, they could afford to do long term studies, uh, but they're not asked to. And I think that's that needs to change.
0: Well, you know, you're kind of a a renaissance man, because in addition to being an expert on genetics and the microbiome and on uh, food, uh, as well as uh, a medical doctor, um, you're also Uh, working on a project to track uh, COVID-19 in the UK uh, via an app. And, you know, to tie those two things together, there's some interesting speculation that the severity of COVID-19 in a given individual, one determinant may be the composition of their microbiome. I'm pretty sure you're all over that. Uh,
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. um, um, You know, it became obvious that diet and, and COVID are linked because you just look at the risk factors of, uh, obesity, diabetes, uh, heart disease and de- deprivation already that gives you some clues. Um, and then you look at, you know, the fact that the U S and, uh, and the UK have had the highest processed food rates and in the, in, in the sort of Western world have suffered most, um, in terms of deaths and things, it, it starts to stack up and there's been studies of the gut microbes in people who've had uh, COVID and they are very badly affected. Um, and But there haven't been many studies yet of uh, longitudinal studies looking to see, well, does, does the prior diet uh, predispose you to COVID because of your microbiome? And we're, we're halfway through these studies. We've got some data coming out um, in the next two weeks from a survey. So the amazing thing about this uh, COVID app is we we got four and a half million people to download it, which is mm. pretty cool. Wow! Um, uh, and this was basically converting our the team the Zoe team doing the nutrition app to a COVID symptom app and and getting lots of social media on it. And um, so there's no governments or you know, big companies behind mm. it. Um, and we still have a million people every day giving us data and even, you know, nearly a year on. But we did a, a survey of 2 million people uh, that they filled in a food frequency questionnaire for us. Mm. Imagine that, 2 million wow. food frequency questionnaires. Wow. And we did it in like two weeks. We got the answer. Um, and, you know, it would have cost five, ten million $10 million and taken three years you know, a few, uh, by conventional means. And with that, we've, we've worked out that uh, people on a poor diet that was poor for your gut health mm. had uh, a 50% increase in risk of COVID. Wow. Uh, where, even when you adjust for all the other factors like obesity and deprivation. So obviously diet is crucial and it's now more crucial than ever. And I think it's this link between the foods you eat your, your gut microbes and then your immune system. And we have to wake up that, you know, this is perhaps the most important part of our our health to get right. And, you know, we can all these fancy medicines to treat it, but, you know, we these these kind of infections are gonna be around for many years and we need to start changing our societies really to to stop this um you know, this malaise and, and having up such sick microbes that I think are causing problems. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, an exciting field. And, you know, hopefully by changing people's diets, um, by introducing, you know, selective probiotics, um, you know, and education, we, we can really change things.
0: Wow. I, I, I'd be very excited to receive, uh, uh, a copy of that study once it's out, and you know, I'll certainly get the word out to our, you know, via our social media and to our listeners because that's that's just a momentous study. Um, when it's uh, you know, there's probably an embargo, uh, but uh, I'd love to take a peek at it. So if you can,
1: yeah, well, we hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when this um, this podcast is coming out, but it, it, it we we hope to submit a, a preprint in two weeks' time, and it, we're doing it with the group at Harvard the uh, School of Public Health, so um, it's a combined U.S.-U.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, effort, and we've got U.S. people in there as well. So I think it's going to cause a bit of a stir, um, you know, and has uh, big social ramifications about uh, the idea that, you know, government's role is to keep cheap uh, food cheap at all costs. Mm-hmm. And encourage snacking and all these things that are seen and, as and in you effect know, to
0: subsidize right. and encourage the, uh, the the food industry. You know, because there's certainly uh, a lot of uh, collusion uh, between the government and and the food industry, uh, including in the United States. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but agricultural subsidies uh, that make uh, corn and wheat and soy uh, and sugar uh, ultra profitable and easily, you know, once they transmogrified it into a fast food or into a ultra-processed food, uh, something that's readily available.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, it all, in the U.S., it all started as a part of, you know, to beat the Russians in the Cold War, to get food cheaper than the Russians could produce it, and it just got out of control, and now these small companies are now worth more than most of the countries in the world Hmm. and our food's controlled by 10 companies and they have huge lobbying power and as you say, they keep these subsidies which is, you know, it means they can't really stop doing what they're doing because it's just so profitable and the people trying to sell fruits and vegetables have Hmm. none of the same advantages and that the the gap between them gets larger every year so um, relatively uh, bad food gets cheaper. And well, good food gets more expensive. I mean,
0: this whole thing, this this COVID-19, it, you know, the, the silver lining in the dark cloud is that this certainly should be a call to action uh, to reform our, our food supply and our eating habits because, you know, we take the long-term perspective. A lot of people don't care. They say, well, you know, uh, I'm going to uh, burn the candle and worry about whether I'm going to get heart disease or cancer long-term, especially younger people. They feel they're mortal. But you know, with the pandemic uh, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and if there is indeed uh, some plausible linkage to the food you eat, uh, I think it's going to really be a teachable moment that's going to bring the message home.
1: Well, I hope so, yeah. I think that, that you know, I do hope there are some silver linings in this pandemic because there are enough uh, black linings. That, um, I, I, But I, I do think now more than ever people are, Talking about food in a new way, and I think the microbiome has got something to do with it. I think uh, expert opinion is turning a corner. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the the dogma about uh, fats and uh, calories uh, amongst the U.S. experts, you know, is starting to, to to crack up, and and there is no longer really a consensus on most of these things that are still. Uh, being touted up by the government as the, you know the way to eat, so I think we are on the verge of of really changing something, and uh, I think it's going to probably be a, a grassroots movement rather than a a top down government mm-hmm. movement. Consumer driven, yeah. I think it will be, and I think people will start, you know, uh, you know, voting with their feet and eating with their, you know uh, for their microbes and demanding better education about. Not only about what foods to eat, but also how to cook. Insisting that every you know every house actually has a an oven, and you know we get rid of some of these food deserts and things. Uh, but um, you know it it is a major major problem. But if people see that you know the cost of not doing it is is m- treating obesity, diabetes, and now uh, all, all these COVID immune problems, then maybe there might be an economic argument just on top of that.
0: Indeed. Well, I think uh, the popularity of your books, uh, including the latest one, Spoon Fed, Why Almost Everything We've Been Told About Food is Wrong, uh, as well as uh, the popularity of this uh, Intelligent Medicine podcast evinces uh, a hunger on the part of people for reliable information. Uh, I also want to highlight um, Zoe, uh, which is a place that uh, you can go to for um, uh, a fascinating evaluation of Uh, your personalized uh nutrition um shall we say predilections you know things that might fit your biochemical composition and your genetic uh uh, situation as well as your microbiome status and once again give us the heads up on that please
1: yeah so go to the website joinzoe.com and you can eat and sign up for a, a, kit, a home kit where you get a, a glucose monitor. You get uh, a, a, you can test your own blood lipids after meals, and uh, you get to test your full whole, whole sequence of your gut microbes. And this all gets put together into a, an app that you can then choose yourself your foods. No one tells you what to eat or not. You are basically just discovering for yourself what the best foods are for you to eat and you, you discover what your body really wants. So it's and it's all part of a giant ex- research experiment where we, we share the results. So every thousand more people we get, the more precise uh, details we get about each meal and uh, how good or bad it is for individuals. So uh, I think, it, you know, the, that re- it can be life changing just to understand how everyone reacts differently to food.
0: Well, it's a spectacular effort and, you know, congratulations. I think it's really uh, the wave of the future uh, in terms of personalized medicine. Uh, I want to thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tim Spectre, for joining us from the UK. And I hope that uh, the situation uh, over there resolves uh, as soon as possible. Um, and uh, thanks for your work as well on that front.
1: Right, it's been my pleasure. If anyone wants to follow me for the COVID stuff, it's Twitter. My Twitter handle is Tim Spector or obviously Instagram, where most of the nutrition stuff is. Uh, I'm also there as well. But, um, yeah, I think we're all in this together to spread the word about educating people about uh, better nutrition.
0: Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free
1: Fullscript account. That's drhoffmanstore.com, drhoffmanstore.com.